For those of you who may not know me, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I, I, I help to lead the Clarendon campus, which meets on Sunday evenings in Clarendon. So if you haven't seen me before, that is why. Uh, every six to eight weeks or so, I get to come and worship with y'all and fill in for Jason, and it's always my great privilege to do that. And as Johnny said during the, during the initial welcome, uh, I see a lot of new faces, or at least faces that are new since I've been here. So if, if you are new, welcome. Uh, we hope you know that whether you've been a Christian for a long time or whether you're just checking things out, uh, that this is a, a space that you can come and, and learn about who Jesus is. So our hope for everybody here is that you, you find a home here, um, that you are known by others and know others, and most importantly, that, that you are known by the God who made you and that, and that you know him. So it's great to worship with you all today. So we are continuing through Ecclesiastes. We're on the home stretch here. We just have uh, three weeks left, including today. So go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you don't own a Bible, you can grab one from the back and keep it. That'll be our gift to you. We'll also have the words up on the screen. And we're going to read straight through Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 13, and then go through chapter 10, verse 20. And as a heads up, for those of you who really like things to be neat and orderly, your hopes and dreams will not be fulfilled as we read this text, okay? Um, So it seems like Solomon lost his mind here and just started throwing a bunch of stuff into a cabinet and we're pulling it out. Uh, So for now, just the the main thread to follow as as we go through this is just note the difference between wisdom and folly that he consistently contrasts here. And then we'll, we'll go through it after we read. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 13, and then we'll read through chapter 10, verse 20. <clears throat> I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses, and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and at the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. 
Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we need your spirit to illuminate this text to us. So please be with us as we walk through this. Uh, illuminate our hearts in a way that can't happen without you. Uh, convict us of sin and at the same time uh, magnify Jesus in our hearts. May we see how beautiful we are today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the, the primary question of Ecclesiastes is, what are you chasing? So everybody, each of you, chases something for your significance and fulfillment in this life. And what Solomon does through the the first nine chapters is he shows over and over and over, if you chase something under the sun, so a a relationship, a a career, uh, all all of the above, for significance and fulfillment, you are as as foolish as somebody who's chasing the wind, trying to grab a hold of it. Because nothing under the sun ever delivers on its promise to fulfill you and give you what you you most need. It's only through uh, knowing and being loved by the God of the universe universe who made you, that, that you find what you're looking for. Now, Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book, and so I, I say that because what Solomon is doing in this passage here is he's going to show us what wisdom looks like by looking at its antithesis, folly. So by looking at a number of examples of folly, we can see how to be wise. All right, so as we start, first let's answer the question, what's, what's a fool? You need to know that before we start assuming definition of terms. So a, a fool, other than being Gandalf's preferred adjective to describe somebody he's frustrated with, a, a fool, there, there's two parts to being a fool. So a, a fool is out of touch with, with reality, and a fool should know better. Out of, out of touch with reality and should know better. So for example, when a, a really young child jumps on a tricycle and does something reckless, like they fly down the driveway and crash into something, you, you don't call them a fool. Yes, they were out of touch with reality. They didn't understand many of the physical laws of the universe, so that's what happened. But, but they didn't know better yet, so you don't call them a fool. However, when an older person does something that they should have known better, you call them a fool. So when I was a teenager, I enjoyed skateboarding. And I went out with uh, one of my good friends, his, his name's Dane, and we were skateboarding around the neighborhoods, and we went up to the top of a, a, a massive hill, uh, biggest hill I, I've seen to this date. And so we're up there hanging out with our skateboards, and he looks at me and goes, well, Steve, you want to give it a go? And I go, sure. What, what could go wrong? So I hop on the skateboard, and for those of you who snowboard or skateboard, you know what you should do is go back and forth down the hill. I, I just go straight down, okay? So, so I am, I'm flying down the hill, literally. I'm sure I reach terminal velocity. I'm, I'm passing cars as I'm going down this hill. I'm barely halfway down, and if you've ever been on a skateboard, you know, the, the wobble starts happening. And so what do I decide to do? Instead of just staying on the board, I decide to abandon ship. Now, I knew better. Okay, I, had, uh, I knew physics, so I knew that I knew of Newton's first law that an object in motion tends to stay in motion. So I should have known that if, if I'm moving at about 30 miles an hour and I jump onto a stationary surface, what's going to happen? I'm going to keep moving. Okay, so I jump off the board, my feet hit the cement, and I get launched over, over 15 yards past where I jumped off the skateboard. I slide along my, my stomach and hands. I scrape 
sorry, um, this is PG-13. I, I scrape the, the skin off of my stomach, off of my hands. I get over an inch-deep wound in my elbow, and I'm laying there. My friend Dane comes, comes racing down the street, and he picks me up, and he takes me to his house, and he goes, hey, Steve, your, your mom's a nurse, right? Let's, let's call your mom. And I go, no, no, let's, let's not call my mother, okay? Uh, because she's going to ground me. She's going to take away my skateboard. So we did what any sensible teenager would do. We fixed the solution by we took a roll of saran wrap and wrapped my stomach with, we put antifungal cream on it. Okay, so we wrapped my stomach. We, we wrapped my hand. I, I put a Band-Aid over my elbow. Now, two days later, I was at a pool party, and I still decided to go swimming, and anyway, so my, my mom comes to the house as I'm walking around to the front yard of the house, and she sees me. And, you know, her eyes light up, you know, greater than the size of plates. She goes, Stephen, what, what, what happened? And I, I tell her, well, you know, I explain what happened. She goes, when did this happen? I go, what happened a couple days ago? And she goes, well, let me see. And she, she pulls the, the, ba- the band-aid off my elbow, and it, it was the beginning of gangrene my elbow. And she goes, why in the world did you not say something to me? And I said, well, because you were going to ground me. And I figured I could just, you know, take care of it myself. And she goes, Stephen John, you are a fool. (laughs) And she was right. I was a fool. Still am in in many ways. Okay. Because I should have known better. I was completely out of touch with reality. And so the, the, the point is, is just, just as there is a physical givenness to, to the world, there are physical laws, and if you don't honor that givenness, those laws, you'll experience breakdown. The Bible says that there's also a moral and, and spiritual givenness to the world. And, and if you don't honor that order, then you'll experience breakdown. So as a very quick example, God says you must always forgive. No matter what, you must always forgive. And so if you, if you refuse to forgive, you'll experience breakdown. So there's plenty of evidence to show that when you harbor bitterness inside, uh, your, your body will start to break down and have issues. You, you'll have breakdown relationally because you put a barrier up between you and that person, and maybe everybody else liked that person who wronged you. There's going to be breakdown between you and God, because when you don't forgive others, it's a clear sign you haven't received his forgiveness to you. And so, in Scripture, what a fool is, is a fool is somebody who, who refuses to honor the, the moral and spiritual order upon which God created the world. And so, and, and when you don't do that, you'll have breakdown. And most importantly, make perhaps eternal breakdown if you refuse the love that God extended to you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at, at three examples of folly— and then we'll look at how, how to get the wisdom you need. So just three examples of folly, and then we'll look at uh, um, how, how to get the wisdom that you need. And it's, it's a long text, so we're not going to be able to cover every single odd saying in here, but we'll certainly cover the main themes. And as we go through this too, I want to challenge you to, as we're talking about the different types of fools, don't be thinking about the person next to you, or, oh, this person really needs to hear this. Okay, so look, look at your own life and see where, where are you being a fool. All right, and just as a preview, we're going to look at um, the we're going to look at foolishness with your influences. We'll look at foolishness with your hopes, and then finally, we'll look at foolishness with your habits. So, what does it look like to be a fool with your influences? To be a fool with your hopes, and then to be a fool with your habits. Okay, so first, number one, what does it look like to be a fool with your influences? So, in chapter nine, verses seventeen, <clears throat> we see this line that says. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. 
So what he is depicting here is the calm, ordinary sound of wisdom, but yet the fools are listening to the shouting ruler. So the, the shouting ruler here represents somebody in, in some type of position of authority who influences not through appeal to, to sound wisdom, not through appeal to rational argument, but who influences people uh, through, through appeal to the emotions, uh, through appeal to the sensational, through appeal to the spirit of the age. So what he's saying at is, is you are a fool if you're influenced not by what is wise long term, but what's going to give you the most immediate gratification in the short term. You are a fool if you're driven by emotion, what feels good in the moment. You're, you, you are a fool if, if you're so unsure of your identity, of, of who you are, that you're easily influenced because you're chasing human approval everywhere. And so you can't choose between good and bad companions. Uh, you're too easily influenced by, um, by the spirit of the age, by what other people are saying. And so here what we see is a, is a key principle that's going to carry us through, through the rest of our time today. And that's that avoiding folly depends not so much on what you know, but on who you follow. So, so avoiding folly depends not so much on what you know, but on who you, who you follow. Because here, here we see the fool is being influenced by sensational, dr- dramatic people. And so a, as an example, what is, what's so tragic to watch is... So many people in the church, and I've already seen more than I, I, I wish I had seen, know, know many things about what Scripture says. So, so you know that Jesus lived, died, and rose for your sins. You, you know that, that what Scripture says is best for your life. But really what's happening is you're being pulled and influenced by, by other voices and culture. So... Uh, yes, I, I know that scripture says that I, I, I should put my, my family before career, uh, but what culture says is that my value and worth is found through, through what I'm doing in my career. So I'm going to put my career over my family. I'll, I'll get home late. I'll care more about what my coworkers are saying than, than what my spouse needs or what my children need. Or I, I, I know that scripture says that, that my value and worth comes from being made in the image of God and being redeemed by, by Jesus Christ. But, but culture says that I can only be happy if I have a romantic partner who fulfills me. So I'll date who I want, I'll, I'll sleep with who I want, when I want, I'll leave my spouse if I want because they're not fulfilling me. So over and over and over, I, I, I know one thing that scripture says, but through all the, the, the subtle narratives and music and story and your friends, things that, that people are saying in culture, that's, that's ultimately who you follow. So to avoid folly, it doesn't depend so much on what you know, but on who you follow. And you need to follow Jesus. See, the, the thing is here is everybody follows someone. Culture says, don't follow anybody. Don't follow what your church says. Don't follow what your, what your parents say. You be true to yourself. So what you need to do is express your individuality, and then you know you're living a full life. Does that really happen, though? Expressing your individuality and being true to yourself? So do, do a, a thought experiment with me. Uh, imagine a, a woman 200 years ago, and she, she has a job, she's moving forward in her career, but she also loves a man. And so she says, well, I can't keep advancing in my career if I settle down with this man, so what should I do? I have to choose one or the other. Culture will say, choose the man, because you will be happy, you will have fulfillment if you have a family, if, if you're a mother, if you're a wife. So she goes with the man. What about today? Woman climbing up in her career, falls in love with a guy. I can't really, I can't have one without sacrificing the other. What does culture say? Don't you dare choose the man. 
Don't you dare settle down with a man so that you can't keep climbing up in your career. So you prioritize the career. Are you being true to yourself? No, you're not being true to yourself. You're, you're being completely enslaved to what your culture is saying. These aren't your desires. These are what all the voices are telling you in culture on what, what to do. So you, you have to follow somebody. Follow, follow Jesus. It's what he says that, that has transcended time and place on, on, on what's best for you. Don't, don't be enslaved to your cultural moment. Okay, follow Christ. Jesus loves you more and knows you more than, than you love and know yourself. So follow him. Okay, so avoiding folly doesn't depend on what you know, but on who you follow. Follow Christ with the dominant influence of who tells you what to do and how to live. Okay, so, so second, we'll look at uh, what does it look like to be a fool with, with your hopes? So Note that there are a number of, of paradoxes th- throughout this passage. So verse, uh, verses 13 through 16 in chapter 9, it depicts a poor wise man who saves the city, and yet people don't acknowledge him. His words are despised. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, you can have an amazing smelling perfume, yet, yet small flies die in it, and so ruin the entire thing. And then in chapter 10, verses 8 through 9, they show somebody, they dig a pit, but then they fall into it. Somebody's making progress, chipping through a wall, and then a snake bites them. Somebody's chopping wood, and then they hurt themselves. Okay, we could have a lot of fun going, going through all these examples and, and talking about it. But what, what he's getting at here is, is, the, is the crucial and basic fact of the, of the goodness and yet fallenness of creation. So God made the world good, no death, no suffering, Yet humankind rebelled. They decided to be their own lords, their own masters. And when that happened, part of the curse of the fall was that, yes, uh, flowers will grow up out of the ground, flowers and fruit, but also thorns and thistles. So creation's good, all the goodness and beauty through which God made the world, it's not completely eradicated. But at the same time, sin has completely distorted the world. Now, what, what does that mean? It means that, one, heaven is never going to come to earth before Christ comes. And this is critical because so often what happens is when suffering comes your way or something else that you're not expecting, often what hurts you and causes you to fall more away from Christ is the shock of it. Because you're expecting, well, if I'm following God and I'm doing these things and now there's suffering, then how can God be good? No, no, we live in a fallen world. But also what it means is that no matter who we put in power, no matter what policies we put in place, it, it will never be perfect. We will not have heaven on earth. And so what, what do you see here is you see, um, I mentioned it already, at the end of chapter 9, you see a wise man delivers the city, but then what? In, in verse 18 it says, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but a sinner destroys much good. So meaning a, a person of influence can do a lot of good, but then one sinner or, or multiple sinners will, will come along and, and absolutely ruin it. Okay, so what's, um, what's an example for today? Now, I'll say first and foremost that this church is not a political platform. So what that means is we're not going to stand up here and, and tell you who to vote for or tell you who not to vote for. But what we are called to do as pastors is to help you apply Scripture to daily life. And so, and so I'm going to use this example to, to help us with something because we live in Washington, D.C., the political capital of the nation. And this, this, is the, this is the air you breathe. Many of you, I know your, your jobs are impacted by what's going on in Congress, by who's president. Uh, if, if not, people very close to you are, and it's being talked about all the time. And so 
last week, there, there was an article in the New York Times, and it talked about a meeting that President Trump had with evangelicals. And what the article quotes him as saying to, to this group of evangelical leaders is he, is he tells them, he, he's trying to press on them the importance of winning the upcoming midterms in the fall. And he says, you are one election away from losing everything you've got. So you're, you're one election away from losing everything you've got. Now, I, I don't bring this up to say support Trump, don't support Trump. Why I bring this up is because this, this is a really important question. If, if you're sitting in that room, and I, I don't know who was there, do, do you think, even on a small level, that what's happening on the Supreme Court, that's what's happening in Congress, that who's president, determines whether or not you lose? And, 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 the, and, the, and if the, the people that you care about, if, if they lose... Do you lose everything that you've got if what happens in the political system is not according to how you think things need to go? Are, are your emotions up and down all the time based on what's happening out there? Look, sh- should you vote? Yes. Sh- should you work in policy? Yes. We, we need Christians working in the public square. But let me, let me tell you something. There, there's only one king, and that's Jesus Christ. And, and he won the election a long time ago, and you didn't vote for him. And so what wisdom looks like is making your fundamental hope and your fundamental allegiance in King Jesus because he's the only king. And he came and he put to death sin and death on the cross and then he rose again. The tomb is empty. And so while much is happening now through his spirit, things will never be fully restored and we won't have heaven on earth until he returns and makes it happen. So so ask yourself these, these questions. Does what king jesus says and what he tells you to do does that influence your actions and your emotions more than what's happening in the public square do do people who don't know christ do do they know more about your your view on something socially politically economically or do they know how, how, how what jesus did for you in his life and death and resurrection radically shapes your life when something happens, which is every, every week now, that, that people want to rage about, do you go online and rage about it or rage about it with your coworkers? Or do you, do you seek, how, how can I do very earthly and tangible good to my literal neighbor? That was what Jesus said was the second greatest command. Love your neighbor. What are you placing your hope in? Where is your fundamental allegiance? And you see here in verses 12 through, through 20, there, there's, there's a lot of talk about words. And so what, what do you, there's a lot of talk about a fool multiplying words. And what he's getting at here is, is a fool, somebody who's following something else, someone else other than Jesus, will use their words and use them in abundance out of a position of superiority as a means to tear other people down instead of exalting Christ and building other people up. And so do, do your words, <laughs> let's ask a couple questions. When you, when you are talking with somebody about people on, on the other side of the aisle, whatever that is, is there an eye roll, an exaggerated sigh, <sighs> a sneer as you talk about them? Because they're, 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 so, they're so foolish with, with how they're voting, with how they're implementing policy. If you're following King Jesus and not the shifting winds of culture, then no, what you're going to do is use your thoughts and your words to build other people up. This doesn't mean you, you agree with other people, but what it does mean is you treat every single person, no matter who they are, as what they are, which is somebody made in the image of God. 
and you remember that you are a sinner in just as much need of grace as they are. So one of, one of the best ways that, that, the, that the church can, can share Christ with people is a, being able to dialogue with people who, who think differently than we do in a, from a position of true love and empathy. And also people who don't gossip and tear others down every chance we get and sigh and sneer. And instead, talk about how, how wonderful King Jesus is and what, what he's done. So yes, vote. Yes, work in policy. Yes, dialogue with, with, with people calmly. But be careful. That even in your thoughts, don't curse the king. Because <laughs> even in your thoughts, when you have bitter, resentful thoughts, that turns you into a more callous person. That tor- turns you into a more bitter person. Okay, so avoiding folly depends not so much on what you know, but on who you follow. Do you follow an earth, earthly ruler or, or King Jesus? And so third, we're going to look at what does it look like to be foolish with your habits? Foolish with your habits. So verse 10 says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. It really helps if you read that in Mr. Miyagi's voice. I, I won't do it for you. Um, but so if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. So wh- what's, what's this painting here? So sharpening a blade is it's something repetitious, it's ordinary, it's mundane. So what what he's saying here is it's the person who does the very mundane, ordinary, repetitious things that that, that, that make you a person of wisdom, rather than drawing to what what is what gives you instant gratification, what's sensational, what what's dramatic. Now now in, in the Christian life, the here's here's what's key. It okay. I'll I'll preface this this way. Everything is working against us where we live and in the age we live when it comes to this. Doing the very ordinary, mundane things is what makes you great and what makes you wise. Because you've grown up, and if you didn't grow up uh, in this age in the last 20 years or so, you've been swimming in it for the last 10 to 15 years. And everything in our culture now uh, trains us for instant gratification. And for you, you have to do things that, that, that sparkle and that are great to be a person of worth. So children are told from, you know, six months old, you can be whatever you want to be. Now, now there's, there's some truth to that, but that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on a child. I wanted to be a professional football player. Not built for it. Okay? But nowadays, okay, if you want something, you can have it delivered to your door in two days or under. If you, if you want to watch a show, you no longer have to wait a whole week till the next Thursday night at 7 for 30 minutes, which is really 16 minutes because of all the commercials. You, you can watch an entire 10 series overnight. Okay, when it comes to dating, now where there's a lot of benefits to online dating, uh, one, one of the things that, that it does is, okay, if, if you want to go on a date with somebody, you just swipe right or left. I don't know which, which direction it is. <laughs> I don't know. But what, what you don't have to do is the, at least what I did, because I was never super socially adept, is, you know, when I ask somebody on a date, hey, how's it going? So, uh, you want to go do something on Friday? Are you asking me on a date, Steve? Run away. Um, <laughs> okay, here's the point. Do you want to be a person of depth? Do you want to be a person who's steadfast under suffering and storms? Do you want to be a person whose soul's enlarged and who loves Christ? 
how that happens is not through the, the small and few big things that you do. It's through, through the many small, many decisions that you make on, on a daily basis. You know, here it talks about a fool walking on a path. The Bible talks about a path a lot because in a path you, you walk and it's step, step, step. And over a long time you make a lot of progress. And so on a, on a daily, regular basis, do you, do you take advantage of, of, of the means of grace that, that God gives you? What I, means, what I mean by that is the, the very ordinary yet powerful ways God gives you to know him and love others. So corporate and private prayer, coming to worship, not just once or twice a month, but making a priority to do it regularly, okay? being part of a community group, and then displaying Christ to others by, by, by loving your literal neighbors, the people that you work with, the people whose pla- the places that you visit a lot, through the people that, that literally live next to you. And it's through doing those things over and over and over <laughs> that make you a person of greatness over the long term. It, it, it's so simple, but, it, but it's so difficult because we start doing it and then we, then we get bored. But, but that is how you become a, a person who's made into the image of Christ. So pay attention to what are your habits. I don't care how busy you are. All of you have habits. What do you do the, the first thing that you wake up? Is it check your phone and look what's going on there? Or even just spend 10 to 15 minutes praying before God and exalting him and pouring out your tears and pouring out your fears and being in his word. Can't overstate the importance of this. See, see the, the verse here in verse 11, if, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there, there is no advantage to the charmer. And th- this is related. So snake charming was an ancient uh, practice in, in, the, in the ancient world, but it took a lot of skill. So you needed to, it took a lot of practice, it took a lot of learning. And so what he's saying is it doesn't matter if you read about snake charming and go to snake charming school and get voted on by a board of snake charmers, and then you can snake charm, and then you go up to the snake and you forget to charm the snake. And it bites you. So what, what he's saying is you, you can know, okay, I, I know, know these things I need to be doing to be made in the image of Christ and love others, but, but I'm not going to do it. And then you get bitten by the snake. Just recently, there, there was a story of a, of a minister in another part of the world who, who committed suicide because he, he got outed as having a string of affairs. And he, he had written a type of a confession. And one of the things that he said was, I, never, I didn't pray. I didn't have a prayer life. So I'd preach, and people were moved by my preaching. I, I would counsel. People were changed by my counseling. But, but he wasn't in the word himself meeting God. He, he wasn't praying himself. And then so what happened is he, he got hit by a snake. He, he was so deep in sin, he didn't even realize he was. You know, there, there's a quote often attributed to John Owen, a 17th century theologian, and he, ever since I've heard it, I've never forgotten it. He said, a, a minister may, may fill his pews, his communion rolls, in the mouth of the public, but what that man is in secret before, before God, that is who he is and nothing more. So translated for our time, you can, you can come to church, you can lead people to Christ, you, you can do, do all these other things for God, but who you are in secret before God on a daily basis, that is who you are. And nothing more. So sharpen your blade on a daily basis. Don't get bitten by the snake. Okay, so avoiding folly depends not so much on what you know, but on who you follow. 
When you follow Jesus, he'll be your primary influence. He'll be your first hope. And then he'll be the person that you go to on a daily basis, both personally and then displaying him to others as you love and serve others as he first loved and served you. Okay, so, so, so lastly, we'll, we'll look at how to be wise. And we've already been, been talking about it a, a, a lot. And so what all we've been saying over and over that to avoid folly doesn't depend on what you know, but on who you follow, and you need to, you need to follow Jesus. Now, in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 18, the apostle writes, If any of you thinks he is wise in this age, you must become a fool, so that you may become wise. If you think you're wise, you must become a fool, so that you may become wise. Now, when he says you must become a fool, what he's saying is you must do what looks foolish to the world. And that is trusting in Christ. And it's it's through that that you become wise. Because the way, of, the way of Jesus Christ is foolish. Because whether you are a, a secular, non-religious person, or whether you're a person of another religion, you both work the exact same way. And that you know you have value, you know you are on your way toward your salvation project, whatever that is. If you, if you do things, if you're a person of strength, if you, if you, if you obey the rules, whatever, whatever those rules are, if you do these things, it's the exact same way. Any, any system outside of Christ... But through Jesus Christ, it's all about what he's done for you, and you receive it. It's not about what you do, it's about what he's done, and that seems foolish to the world. Because in our hearts, it's, well, unless I do this, and unless I'm strong, then, then how do I know I'm a person of value? Then how do I know that God loves me? But, but don't you see? See, we, we, we read about a, a poor wise man who came and delivered a city, and yet, yet he was despised. And Jesus Christ was a poor wise man who came not just to deliver a city, but to deliver you and the entire world. And everybody thought he was foolish. Because they were looking for the sensational. They were looking for what was part of the spirit of the age. They, they thought that their, their savior, what he would do is, is come along and wipe out all evil and reestablish Jerusalem. And so what, in, in Mark chapter 15, after they, they sentence him to death, what you see is a battalion of soldiers kicks him, kicks him to the ground, puts a, a purple robe on him to mock him, shoves a crown of thorns on his head and bows down, Hail, King of the Jews, you're a fool. And they spit on him and they slapped him saying, Prophesy, Christ. Little did they know, it wasn't just that they were spitting and mocking the king of the Jews. They were spitting on and mocking the king of the entire world. Who was staying there, not out of incompetence, but out of love. To save even the people who were slapping him and mocking him. Why? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. And the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. And so in a single stroke, he satisfied his perfect justice. Because God's so just, he has to condemn sin. But he satisfied his perfect love. Because he didn't just die for you because he had to, but because he wanted to. So that if you trust in him, all of your guilt, anything you've done wrong, is nailed into his hands. And you are clothed. In the most beautiful robe, you are clothed in his righteousness and his perfection. Can, can you not follow 
the king who did that for you. Don't be the fool who walks by as he's on his knees getting beaten and say, what an ordinary woodworker. He's a fool. He's the king of the world. And the reason you need to see this is because you, you can't just grow in wisdom through willpower, through, through reading the right things. It's never been through willpower that the heart's changed. It's love that changes a heart. And, and so if you are here and you, you've been on the fence or maybe on, on the furthest side from King Jesus, I, I ask that you will receive him. You, you can't earn it. That's the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness. Receive it. It's a gift. And if you are here and you are a follower of Christ, there will be so many times where it will, it will appear so foolish to follow him. E- either in your own emotions. Why should, I, why should I spend an hour with him in the morning when I could be doing this instead for my job? Why, why should I follow what Jesus says about, about sex and marriage and career and money when all of culture is saying this? It will appear foolish. But it's the wisdom of God, which is wiser than the wisdom of men. Jesus tells you, when you, when you follow me, when you give me everything, you actually give up nothing because you gain the whole world. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we praise you for doing what appears so foolish to us to save us. And I pray that for every single person here, Lord, whether we are checking things out or whether we are a follower of you, that we will trust you fully, give you our full allegiance, put the weight of our hopes, have you be the one who influences us, Lord, and uh, shape us and mold us. May we follow you instead of anyone or anything else. Please meet us in the Lord's Supper as we take that and in the giving of our tithes and offerings. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.